Welcome to Modern Aikidoist Podcast. Please help by liking, subscribing, and sharing this podcast if you're watching this on YouTube or BitChute. These are all free and help out a great deal. Word of mouth is how shows like this reach more people who are interested. Another way you can support this podcast is by way of a PayPal tip jar. You can leave a donation of any amount you like or set up a monthly donation just like Patreon or Subscribestar. There's a link in the description. I sincerely appreciate your interest and support. In this episode, I'd like to cover a topic which I think enters every martial artist's mind at some point. A central theme to a great deal of our training is that of becoming a warrior. The lineage and heritage of all martial arts come from a warrior culture, so this makes sense. Many martial arts have evolved away from their strong martial heritage. Yoga, for example, in history came from warrior conditioning. The movements and positions were based on combatives and designed to condition and prepare warriors for battle. You wouldn't know it looking at how yoga is practiced these days, or by the philosophical angle that yoga practitioners tend to embrace. I suppose modern Aikido is very similar in that regard. Even modern Aikido practitioners admire and embrace the samurai heritage of Aikido and the predecessor arts it came from. It has held on to a number of aspects, such as the wearing of hakama and practice with boken. There's nothing wrong with showing respect for the heritage, although I think it's best to balance that with an understanding that these studies are of fairly limited practicality. That could be another whole discussion entirely. This episode is more about the mindset and method of a warrior and how it might apply to us in our modern day. I'm referring to civilian practitioners of Aikido, not military personnel who would find themselves on an actual battlefield. I think there is a distinction between a warrior and a soldier. As with most things, defining terms is helpful to avoid confusion. I view a soldier as being a professional, someone whose trade is fighting and combat. I also count those in the military whose job it is to provide a support role as being soldiers as well. One might think that it is exactly the same thing as a warrior, and I suppose it could be. Personally, I find that there's a wider meaning to the term warrior. We can start with the typical dictionary definition, which is a person engaged or experienced in warfare broadly, or a person engaged in some struggle or conflict. Even this simple definition is not limited to those in the military. I'm sure all of us have been engaged in some struggle or conflict at many points in our lives. When we train martial arts, we are training to prepare ourselves for physical conflict. Given enough quality training, we become experienced in it, or should. That's another topic, and I'm not intending to go deeper into it now. Instead, I want to cover the warrior mindset and the mental traits which make someone a warrior. The first aspect of that will be the overall goal. What does a warrior do? I think if you asked most people this question, most would say simply, to win in a conflict. Obviously, a warrior doesn't train to lose, but this answer seems to be a bit too simple. I very much like Osensei's statement on the matter. He said, the way of the warrior is to establish harmony. I'll be the first to admit that there are two major problems with anything Osensei said or wrote. First, we're not always certain his sayings or writings were not altered in some way, and sometimes his statements were not clear. In this particular case, it seems fairly clear. Second, translating Japanese to other languages often leads to misunderstandings. Perhaps there are nuances of meaning in this quote that many, including myself, might be missing. Instead, I'm going to look at this quote from its face value and from the English. I think the statement stands as is, and whether or not Osensei meant it in that way is kind of irrelevant. The question is, is the statement valid and worthy? I think it is. It is worth noting that the word harmony is often misunderstood. It does not mean tranquility or even peace. 
It means more of an equilibrium. One description I heard long ago, which was how the Japanese look at the concept of harmony. That is, imagine a nail sticking out of the floor, which causes people to trip on it and cut their feet. Restoring harmony is pounding the nail back in so it's no longer causing discord. I think in terms of human behavior, which can complicate matters, the basic principle is the same. When someone's actions are causing discord, restoring harmony is required. A classic example might be a bully at school whose behavior is causing strife among the children. The one whose mindset allows them to deal with the bully and end their destructive influence is the one who is the warrior. This can be done any number of ways, not necessarily through the use of violence. When I think of the one who steps up, I think of the warrior. Most will not do anything, whether they are the bully's direct victim or merely bystanders. It's very few people who have the courage and the will to face a possible storm. A fantastic quote by the Greek philosopher Heraclitus comes to mind. He said, Out of every 100 men, 10 shouldn't even be there. 80 are just targets. Nine are the real fighters, and we're lucky to have them, for they make the battle. Ah, but the one, one is a warrior, and he will bring the others back. The reason this quote rings so true to me comes from my own experiences. I saw this not only in my time as a competitive fighter, but in the business world as well. Let me break down each type. First, the 10 who shouldn't even be there. I'm pretty confident Heraclitus was talking about the people who were woefully incompetent or actively destructive to progress. Sadly, these type of people are out there. Their presence makes doing anything difficult, whether it's because they cannot manage their own affairs and require the assistance of others who could be doing productive things instead, or people who are into drama and creating turmoil. Either way, when these people get involved with something, they do nothing but make achieving results more difficult. Next, we have the 80 who are just targets. These are people who may be nice people, but are totally out of their element. From a military standpoint, he's probably describing conscript troops, which are people forced into service and given very little training. In our modern age, these are people who have no interest or engagement. They really don't want to be there, don't know what they should be doing, and cannot be counted on to make much of a difference except to merely be present. The nine Heraclitus mentions are the fighters, and this is where the big separation is seen. These are people who are competent and driven to succeed. These people stand apart from the mass, and their ambition and competence is evident. I like to call these go-to people, and they are the ones you can count on when things get rough. They will roll up their sleeves and go to work when most people stand around either confused or whining. These people are worth their weight in gold, and without them, usually nothing gets done. The last one is the warrior. He has the competence of a fighter, but is also smart. He's a strategist. He thinks farther ahead to make sure he not only succeeds, but that his team does too. His will is forged and strong. His presence of mind is remarkable. It is these traits which, in my mind, make him a warrior. A superb military leader is a warrior, yes. I've seen these traits in the best business leaders and entrepreneurs as well. They have the clarity of vision and leadership to lead a team to success. People like this stand out very clearly to those around them. They don't indulge in excuses and justifications, nor do they look to shift the blame onto others. They keep focused on solving the problem at hand and are not distracted by dealing in petty politics and bickering. They may not always succeed at their endeavors, but they are people that you want to listen to and follow. They inspire confidence and people rally to them. Everyone wants to be respected for being like this. 
The problem is you have to command respect. You cannot demand it or beg for it, nor can you expect it. It must be earned. If you see arguments on the internet or even in person, one can see people being rude in an attempt to make themselves look tough. Rudeness is the weak man's imitation of strength. When I think of a warrior, and this is just my personal view, I think of a person who is competent, driven, intelligent, courteous, and respectful. The old school term for this is a gentleman or a lady. Being polite does not mean that you are weak. In fact, I've found it takes great strength to remain civil when people are being rude. It shows great character to be tempered in your words and your actions. I think that this is the ultimate balance of a warrior. When someone can be skilled to the point of being very dangerous, but to control that side and use it only when absolutely necessary. These people are the guardians of our society and of civilization, and will stand to protect those who need help. They have the wisdom to know when they are needed and the courage to step up when that time comes. They have prepared themselves through training so that they have a good chance to succeed as well. All of these things are necessary. Someone with the skills but without the control is just a beast and will probably victimize the innocent. Someone with the character but without the prowess will fail. Someone with neither the character nor the prowess is merely a coward. The reason I say coward is that each of us is responsible for who we are. We have the power to be what we want, and both character and prowess can be improved if we want them to be. To lack both of these indicates that someone has no regard for either themselves or others around them. One thing about the warrior mindset that I have noticed are people who like talking about it and making out like they are warriors, but talk is the only thing they seem to do. When the time comes to take action, they do nothing. In Texas, they have a saying in regards to faux cowboys, and that is, all hat and no cattle. To boil this down to a single word, the term poser is accurate. These are people who want to dress the part and talk the part, but don't have anything backing it up, whether skills or mindset. In martial arts, people like this are common. The idea of being known and admired as a martial artist or warrior is appealing. They can measure their power by what color their belt is and the certificates they collect. They are filled with pride as they gain prestige and authority over younger students in the dojo. They stick around long enough and they take prominent roles of respect in their groups, sometimes taking over running the dojo. This doesn't mean that they have any practical skills though. In the organization I was in, I heard this story. Many years ago, there was a student who would show up for every class they could attend. They would always change into their uniform and be in the room, but would rarely actually get onto the mat to do reps. This student diligently attended classes for many years and built some understanding of the art. There were few students who attended as frequently as this one did. In time, since building superb skill in Aikido was not this student's main interest, other duties became opportunities. The student became Dojo Cho, it made sense, since someone who was heavily involved in the dojo but not really interested in being on the mat, why not have them dealing with sign-ups, collecting tuitions, paying bills, and all the other duties required for a dojo to run properly. This freed up Shihan and the other students to follow their interests, which were teaching and learning the art. All went well until Shihan passed away. Who do you think inherited the dojo? It was not the heir apparent to Shihan, who was the most skilled student and solid teacher. It was the Dojo Cho who seemed to have everything except the remarkable abilities as a martial artist and teacher. Does this bode well for the legacy of the Shihan, where an administrator with low technical or teaching ability is now in charge of the group's future? 
I've seen this more than once, and the quality of the students' abilities declines as a result. There's another saying that really rings true about the warrior mindset, and I've seen this many times. Everyone wants to be a lion until it's time to do what lions do. It's all great talk about being a warrior, and not even in terms of facing real violence, although that is part of it. I'm talking about having to roll up your sleeves and get dirty with what must be done. That can be doing a really dirty job or helping someone when doing so is going to be extremely unpleasant. A core trait I believe makes the warrior mindset is will. You could call this determination, resolve, or just grit. It's the ability to set aside the desire for comfort and do what needs to be done to achieve a goal. It means committing to your desired outcome and not being dissuaded or distracted from it because it becomes difficult. Will is not giving up in the face of adversity. People who talk a big game more often than not shrink away and disappear when the time comes to go to work. Even something as simple as keeping a promise. A warrior lives by his word, and when he makes a commitment to someone, he follows through. Others can count on his word when he gives it. Many people cannot even keep an appointment time, which is probably the most common indication of someone who can keep their word. I'm a little hesitant to share this story because it is personal, and as such I think it could be easily misconstrued as being about me so I hope it's not taken that way. It is a story about willpower, though, and relevant to the discussion. When I was about 18 years old, I knew I was a fairly willful person, but I just didn't know how much. Another trait that I always had was curiosity. I wanted to know just how strong my will was. What better way to find out than to test it? I decided to fast for seven days. That was, I'd go without food whatsoever and only drink water for seven days. I heard fasting was difficult and many people could not do it. I was also curious about the experience of fasting itself, so I figured I could experience just how difficult it was. So that was it. My plan was to go Sunday to Sunday without eating any food and drinking only water. And off I went. I made no announcement or declaration I was doing this, I just did it. I wasn't looking for anyone's approval, this experiment was for me alone. That comes into play in a bit. My coworkers noticed because we would take a lunch break and everyone would eat and I would have a glass of water. Fasting doesn't go unnoticed, but I didn't make a fuss about it. Just said that I was fasting and that was about it. What I found out was that the first day was not a big deal. My body really didn't miss food. Day two and three were pretty rough. My stomach grumbled and I really wanted to eat. I found out I easily had the will not to succumb to the temptation. It never occurred to me that it mattered whether my coworkers saw me merely drinking water. Since I wasn't doing this to prove anything to them, I wasn't tempted to sneak food when nobody was around. The stomach grumbling and hunger pains did not faze me. I never considered breaking my fast because of a little discomfort. After day three, things evened out and the hunger pains stopped. The next three days were quite easy. Then day six hit and it got quite difficult. I never felt dizzy, lightheaded, or felt drained or weak, but boy did I start to feel hungry. I mean, really hungry. Still, I did not give in and cheat. I was now very close to my goal and was not going to let my hunger command me. It may have been a different story had I felt my health was in danger, but that didn't seem to be the case at all. Caveat. Do not take my telling this story that I'm advising, suggesting, or condoning going on a hard fast. There can be medical issues at play which make fasting like this a poor move for you. In my teens, this did not really occur to me. I strongly suggest you talk to a good doctor before deciding to try fasting.
What I came away with from this experiment was that willpower is like muscle strength. You can test it if you want, just like if you're curious how much weight you can lift. It also occurred to me that willpower is also like muscle and that you can increase its strength by using it. Determination will improve when you apply it more frequently. Just like muscle, if you lack will and determination on a regular basis and give in to comfort and ease regularly, when you need your determination, it may not be strong enough. Examples are when you need to go on a diet or quit a bad habit like smoking. It may be that you need it when you decide to start an exercise regimen and want to stick with it and not give up in a week like most people do. Willpower is what separates extraordinary people from mediocre people. I noticed the same thing as a competitive fighter. Few people had the determination to practice and train and make their training time as productive as it could be. The results were clear and obvious when competition time came. It was all based on will. It didn't matter that others sought you at practice. It mattered what you did when you got there. Sure, showing up was the first step, but it goes far beyond that. Being on a diet is much more than not allowing others to see you drinking soda and eating donuts. You have to stick to your diet even when no one is looking. Cheating and sneaking bad food is merely hiding your lack of willpower. Your diet will fail and the results will be plain to see. Telling people what you're doing will not get results. It's the changes you make in your life which will clearly show the results. Those who have the warrior mindset avoid advertising the fact. They act. The lion doesn't run around telling everyone he's a lion. He just is a lion and everyone knows it because he does what a lion does. I've noticed the very same thing in the fighting community and the world in general. When someone tells you they are a fighter or they're good, usually they're trying to convince themselves, which means they are very likely not what they say they are. Those who are the real deal never have to say it. I believe that this is another quality of the warrior mindset. A warrior isn't concerned with impressing people or catering to his vanity. Collecting accolades and admiration is not a warrior's motivation. This is one reason I believe rank in martial arts particularly advanced rank beyond shodan, or black belt, is destructive to martial arts. The reason being that these are almost entirely political in nature and are excellent at luring practitioners away from what they should be focusing on. Perhaps they are like the donuts to someone on a diet, and a test of will. Sadly, they are such powerful temptations that they have seduced most practitioners into pursuing them. Don't think you have been? Ask yourself this question, and answer it honestly. Would you train Aikido, or your martial art, if you had to give up your rank and never be promoted again? Would you never wear a colored belt of any kind, hold any rank, or be addressed by any title? Would you still want to train? Perhaps martial arts would change dramatically if this were the case, as practitioners would no longer chase ranks and titles, and the only thing for them was to focus on their abilities. Who knows? Ranks are so ingrained into martial arts that people often cannot even imagine not having them around anymore. There are a few which have none. Boxing, wrestling, and sambo have no ranks. They do have win-loss records or championships to mark achievement, but I would even ask those practitioners if they would train in those arts if they never collected any of them. There are people who love their art and train each of these without thought to accolades or prestige. They're only interested in their abilities. To me, this is an aspect of the warrior mindset. The last thought I will leave you with is something I think is relevant to a warrior, and that is to know the difference between justice and vengeance. The line between these two seems quite blurry, but the idea that a warrior uses his prowess to exact vengeance for wrongs is incorrect. It's justice which the world needs, 
and vengeance is a very poor substitute. That's a much deeper topic, and one I'll get into if people are interested. At the end of the day, what purpose does your martial arts training serve? Do you view yourself as training to be a warrior? If so, what does that mean exactly? Do you train for yourself or to fulfill a role which may benefit others at some point? Do you think you would be ready and willing to step in and save someone else if presented with that opportunity? What does being a warrior mean to you? Please share your thoughts in the comments if you're watching this on YouTube or go to the Facebook group Aikido the Marshall Side and post a comment. The Spirit Aikido online program is now live. Subscribers get access to video training and mentoring to techniques and training methods I've adopted from other martial arts to make my Aikido more practical. There's a link in the description section. I invite you to check it out. I always enjoy hearing from listeners of the show, whether through comments or questions. Thank you all for sharing your interest. Enjoy your training.